So today we launch into the book of Romans where we're going to be camped out for the next number of months. Um, we'll do some special stuff at Easter, but for the next number of months we are working through the book of Romans, hence the cards on your chairs as you walked in. And you might be asking yourself, why Romans? Well, I was driving with AJ on Wednesday. We were catching, uh, we caught brunch at Jungle Gyms the other day. And we were driving on the way back and AJ was like, just, we were just chatting about starting into Romans. And of course, we started these Roman small groups, which is not too late to join if you want to join. Um, but we're just talking about that. And AJ was just saying, like, it just feels like the Lord really helped us kind of get this one right. And we can't take any credit for that. God gets all the glory. Amen. But it just felt like it was the right thing for the right time for the season of both Yarmouth Wesleyan and Coastal. And if we rewind the tape back to last August, I love that the Lord gives and provides direction through AJ. Because he's, he's in tune with the Lord, and God just seems to use him that way. And last August, we met with all of our staff at our three campuses, and we talked a little bit about, AJ kind of brought a word for, for our, our campuses, and the word he brought was that he really felt from Colossians 2 that God was bringing our campuses in a season of getting rooted and grounded and established. And I just, I said this a few weeks ago, and I say it today, like, I just feel like that word was so for us. Of course, the word's for us because it's scripture, but I just felt like it was not just a word found in scripture. It was a timely word that described the season of the life that our churches are in right now, our three campuses. And for me, I'm really fired up about jumping into Romans as a church because it's interesting as you look at Coastal Church and how the Lord has kind of um, developed us over the last two years. There's some of you that, as we talked about last week, there's some of you that got saved a couple years ago. And I shared with this with a friend the other day, and I said, like, you're not a new Christian anymore. Right? You ever think about that? Like, some of you maybe have accepted Christ a couple years ago, but that was a couple years ago. And you've grown in your journey right now. And so, for some of you, Romans is going to provide you an opportunity to actually go a little bit deeper. For the Lord to kind of take you a little bit deeper in your understanding of Him and your understanding of the gospel. And so I'm really excited about that because I think many of us are going to grow together as we jump into the book of Romans. And so some of this will feel like teaching and some of this will feel like preaching. And so I encourage you, though, to bring your notepad. And so I'm giving you permission to go ahead, take notes, bring your notepad. If you kind of want to grab one from our connection table, if you're going to jump into our small group, bring that Romans notebook and start writing notes because, you know, we need preaching, but we also need teaching. And teaching is kind of where we get roots down and we kind of dig into the scripture. So sometimes on Sunday nights, it's, it might feel a little bit about a, like a Bible study, but that's okay, right? Right? Okay, okay. Just making sure, just making sure. You know, the book of Romans has had an incredible impact on people throughout church history. You might think church history, okay, Jay. It's uh, whatever time it is. It's 7.56. I'm getting a little sleepy. You're now talking about church history, all right? But I find church history incredibly exciting, and I'll tell you why. Because church history tells the story of people's lives that have been radically transformed by Jesus. And last time I checked, there's nothing boring about lives being radically transformed by Jesus, right? It's like this dude named Martin Luther. He struggled so bad with his sin problem. Like he was so miserable because he was so keenly aware that he was a sinner. And he just couldn't get free from it. And so he started, like, studying, and he's a pastor, by the way. He was a pastor, struggling with a sin problem. And then he starts, like, studying and writing about the book of Romans. 
And he has this incredible encounter with Jesus. And he comes to this realization that we're justified by faith alone. Like, it's not about good works. Our good works don't get us into heaven. Our good works doesn't restore our relationship with God. Luther discovers that we are justified, we are made right with God, not by works, but by Jesus Christ alone. And it's like a game changer for him. So he writes this whole huge commentary on the book of Romans. Well, fast forward 200 years, you got this dude named John Wesley, who was a pastor, like a guy that was teaching the word, but he, he hadn't experienced the love of God. And so he's actually reading what Martin Luther wrote about the book of Romans. He's reading it, and all of a sudden, he says he has this experience. And his quote was, and I felt that my heart was strangely warmed. And he says, I knew in that moment that God loved me. You see, it was an intimate, personal experience with the love of God. And you fast forward to 2005. I was at 182 High Street in Moncton, New Brunswick. And guess what book I was reading? The book of Romans, chapter 5. And I was reading about how God had poured his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And I was reading about how at just the right time, while we were still his enemies, God sent Christ to die. And I still remember the spot I was standing when I knew for the very first time, not just in my head, but in my heart, I knew that God loved me. And the love of God just began to wreck my heart. And I broke down on my knees and I started weeping because I saw Jesus suffering on the cross and knew that this wasn't just a story in Scripture that I knew for the very first time in my life that Jesus Christ had truly died for me. And so I'm excited to dig into Romans, and I'm just praying that for some of you, maybe, and like, like we were all, Luther, Wesley, and me, we're all pastors, and yet we hadn't experienced that. And my deepest prayer for each and every one of you, whether you believe in Jesus or whether it's your first time in church, I want every single person in this room to experience the love of God. And for whatever reason, I think there's good reasons, God uses the book of Romans to really unlock the gospel. And so I'm hoping that as we start this journey, some of you will experience that. Maybe you're coming here and you're like, you have so many questions. Well, I encourage you to join our Bible study either Tuesday night with Brett and AJ or join me next Sunday at a new space at 10 a.m. And we can kind of do a digger deep, a deeper dig. That's what happens when you preach twice. You kind of blah, blah, blah. Romans chapter 1. We're getting started, okay? You start at the beginning. So Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Y'all ready? <sighs> Here we go. Lord help us. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Can you all say saints? Saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, 
Today's sermon is kind of laying some foundation blocks for us. And so I, I encourage you to track with me for a little bit. We're going to kind of lay some groundwork. And the first thing we're going to do is talk about the dude who wrote this book, who actually wrote a lot of books in the New Testament. And his name's Paul. And Paul, if you read Acts chapter 8 and 9, had this crazy encounter with Jesus Christ. And he's literally like riding on his horse, persecuting Christians, and Jesus literally knocked him off his high horse. Literally. And he has this crazy encounter with Jesus, and God radically transforms this guy who was persecuting Christians into arguably the greatest ambassador for Christ the world has ever seen. And this Paul is so radically transformed by Jesus, he's like, my whole life is committed to you. Like, I am your servant. You know, when you first come, first come to faith in Jesus, a lot of us come to Jesus as Savior. Like for me, for instance, when I was 19 years old, I was a former drug addict and partied and all that sort of stuff. And I was so overwhelmed and stricken like Martin Luther with my guilt and my sin. I'm like, man, someone's got to rescue me from this. I just can't take this shame and this guilt anymore and this insecurity and this brokenness. Would someone please save me? And as I read the scriptures and read the book of Romans, I'm like, actually, it's Jesus. He is the Savior. So I gave my life to Christ. But as I grew in my faith in God, I quickly realized that Jesus isn't just Savior, right? The Bible teaches us he's both Savior and what? Lord. And some of us that are new to faith, we come to Christ as Savior but as we grow in a relationship with him, we quickly realize that he's also Lord. And Paul came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is actually his master. That word servant actually translates to slave or bond servant. And so Paul is saying, basically, Jesus, you're my master. You get to call the shots. And the shot that Jesus called was, Paul, I'm going to set you apart to be a sent one. That's what chapter 1 tells us about Paul. And you have to keep in mind, too, that Paul was writing this letter to the church that was in Rome. It's one of the few churches he actually had never physically been to. And so Paul is trying to establish with this new church, this is who I am, and this is a little bit of my story, and, and, and so on and so forth. And so Paul says, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. You know, I really like the word apostle here. And the word apostle means sent one. And you might call me a Bible nerd, and that's okay. I don't mind. But I really love words like this in the scripture because words like sent one in scripture actually refer to God. Because it speaks to what God is like. Because God wants to send people on mission. Why? Because he's a God who's on a mission. You tracking with me? You see, God wants to send people on mission because God is actually a missionary God. He has a mission and a mandate. And he wants to reach people that don't know him. And an apostle is someone uniquely gifted by God who has a heart to take the gospel where there's no gospel presence. Now, I know most of you won't get this illustration, but just track with me for a second. Any of you ever have heard tell of Star Trek The Next Generation? You know what their slogan was? To boldly go where what? Okay. Some of you guys really don't like the show by the sound of your... But, but that description perfectly describes what an apostle does 
in terms of a place with no gospel presence. Paul the Apostle and the Apostle wants to bring gospel presence where there is no gospel presence. It's one of the reasons why when Paul, it's one of the reasons why Paul wanted to go to Rome, but if you read in the book of Romans, where else does Paul want to go? Spain. Matter of fact, he was hoping to go to Rome to get some support so he could go to Spain. And guess what? There was zero gospel presence in Spain. Paul wanted to go to plant a church and a work there so that people could come to faith in Christ. I like, I have this fascination, again, because I'm a Bible nerd. It's okay, you can judge me. I'm cool with it. But I love the scriptures. And one of the things I love to see, especially if you look at the, read through the book of Acts, there's all kinds of spiritual gifts at work. There is. You see, evangelists and prophetess. There's these, this dude that has four, four uh, daughters, and they're all prophetess. You see teachers and, and, and prophets gather in Acts chapter 13, and they're kind of come together and they pray, and they get this word from God. They say, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. You see all these different gifts operating, and guess what you see happen as a result of that? You see the mission of God going forward. You see all kinds of people getting saved, people getting discipled, and God setting direction. His mission is moving forward as he's designed it to be. That's why I love spiritual gifts, because spiritual gifts in the right place, used in the right way, help unlock God's mission for each local community. God knows what he's doing. He has a strategy for how to reach this community. And part of his strategy is to unlock the giftings that are in this room. One of the things that I've discovered as I've kind of interacted with people is that God has placed giftings in a lot of people and they don't even realize they have it. As I've kind of connected with people, there's a lot of people that have gifts and they don't even realize it. And the scripture like, is loaded with references to all the different kinds of gifts that we have. Paul knew his gift. He embraced it. He wasn't proud or arrogant, but he embraced his gift and he gave himself fully to it. So what's your gift? Ever thought about that? What is the gift that God has given to you to use in the kingdom? And how does he want to use it in and through you? Like, What does God want to do in and through your life? It's important to know our gift and to give ourselves to it. And the really cool part about this room is there's a whole different wide variety of giftings. In the same way, there's a whole wide variety of personalities in this room. But Paul, in a similar way as us, we're all called to be holy. We're all called to be saints. And actually, if you read through the book of Romans, that first few verses, Paul actually calls the church in Rome, he calls them saints. You ever think about that? Paul doesn't wait till they're dead to call them saints. Like when I was a kid, we prayed the good Saint Anthony. So I grew up as a good Catholic boy. And it was, good Saint Anthony, come around, something's lost and can't be found. Seriously. But do you know that if you've accepted Christ, this might be a game changer for you, so just, just give me a sec. But if you've accepted Christ, you are a saint. Do you realize that? You're a saint. If you've accepted Christ, you are a saint 
And you know what that means? It means that you are God's holy people. That's what the word saint actually means. It means you have been made holy by God. It's our, it's our new identity in Christ. It means that if you've accepted Christ into your life, you are justified. You are made right in God's sight. When God looks at you, he sees you as holy. Why? Because the blood of Jesus was shed on your behalf, and you stand holy in God's sight. God sees you as blameless, the scripture says. You stand before God justified, just as if I'd never sinned. And so when Paul is writing to Romans, he's saying, you're saints. And so that's something we all need to embrace as our identity. If you've accepted Christ, you're holy in God's sight. And so what that means is, is that when the evil one comes to accuse you and bring up all the stuff from your past, you tell them who you are. You say, yeah, that was me. But I'm forgiven. Right? I'm a new creation in Christ. And because of Jesus, I'm holy and blameless in the sight of God. Embracing those things that Paul is writing about actually causes us to be overcomers. We learn to win the war in our mind when we embrace that part of our identity. When we embrace both our gifting, but also our new identity. And God sets us apart and gives us gifts in the same way as Paul here for a purpose. Paul was called to be an apostle, a sent one, and set apart for a reason. And that reason is the gospel of God. Paul was set apart to deliver the good news of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus, we sang about in King of Kings. I love that song. And, one of the re- and I love any worship song that encompasses the whole gospel. And King of Kings does that. And there's other hymns and songs. That I find them so worshipful because they're full of God's story, full of the good news. That this Jesus who we gather here tonight to talk about he was a descendant of David, as Romans chapter 1 talks about. He was actually predicted by the prophets as one of the things we're hitting in Alpha. It blows my mind that hundreds of years before Christ came, people could give such vivid depictions of the coming and suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's unreal. Just go read Isaiah 53. Your mind will be blown. But God promised long ago that he would send his son, and Jesus Christ came. In the flesh, born of a virgin. He came and did miracles to prove that he was who he says he was. And we never get tired of telling this story. Why? Because we realize that this story about Christ, it's more than just a really good story. It's that, but it's more than that. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, this good news about Jesus is what? The power of God. This story about Jesus is more than just a story. The fact that Christ came, he suffered on our behalf, he died on a cross, he rose again from the dead. That's more than just a cosmic historical event. It's an event that means something to you and to me. That if you put your faith and trust in Jesus and turn from your sin, you're saying, my life is messed up, that I'm my own master, but I need someone else to take control. When you make that conscious decision to put your faith in Jesus... In that moment, the Bible teaches us that God forgives you, he adopts you, and he makes you brand new. And Paul was called to give his entire life 
for that message because it mattered that much. And that's what Paul did. Paul and 11 of the 12 apostles literally suffered for the sake of this message because the message mattered that much because the mission mattered most. So Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome. And the church in Rome, they kind of went through some rough patches and some transitions and some really, really challenging times. And Paul was writing to this church in Rome, and just to kind of give you a little bit of background, this will make sense here in a second. But the church in Rome, they kind of were mixed between Jews and Greeks. So just imagine like a mixture of like people from Woods Harbor and people from Cape Island, or people from Cape Island, people from Pubnico, together in one church. And then the emperor says, all you Jews have to leave. And they kicked all the Jews out. So imagine if we like kicked all the Cape Islanders out of our church for a second. Said, so you guys got to go for five years. Okay? And then you guys come back after five years. And you come back after five years, and you guys are the people that started the church. And you're like, you used to be the worship leader. You used to be the preacher. You used to be the connections director. And you come back, and you're like, what happened to my church? You paint the colors I don't like. You sing songs the way that I don't like also. And that preacher dude, he's awful. And you come back to this church, and it's not the church you used to. That's literally what was happening in Rome. So guess what was happening in Rome? It was all this disunity from these two people groups that just couldn't get on the same page and, and they wanted things to be kind of more part of their culture and so they're trying to navigate all this stuff and Paul doesn't even know the people for one and so he's trying to sort out this mess. So what does Paul do? He unifies the church on the most important thing and what's that? the gospel. In the next number of 16 chapters in the book of Romans is all about what matters most, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. See, the gospel supersedes our own preferences. The gospel is not about you and it's not about me. It's about the entire world that we're called to reach. The gospel calls us to, to lay down our own preferences, our own things for the sake of the mission. And we unite as a church around that mission because the mission matters most. Like, what is more important, church, than seeing lives transformed by the gospel? I don't know. I, I personally, there's nothing more important. There's nothing. And it sounds foolish to the world. That's what the Bible actually teaches. The gospel message is story about Jesus, this man 2,000 years ago who suffered on a cross, who rose again from the dead. That sounds like absolute foolishness. But to us who believe, it's the power of God. It's a sweet-smelling aroma. We know it. It's like, Jesus died for me. And we know it as the hope of the world. And so God has actually called us to unify around that message and to lay aside our preferences. Practically speaking, as we kind of get into the weeds a little bit here, as a church, that means that we're different people, but we're united around the gospel, the mission, because the mission matters most. 
Y'all are different, right? But you unite around the mission because the mission matters most. Now, I don't know, some of you may not know Brett and I real well, but Brett and I are very different people. His giftings are almost the total opposite of my giftings. His personality is almost the total opposite of my personality. But put us together, and all glory goes to God. He uses our diversity to be a blessing to this church. And that's just one example of two people who love God and are 100% committed to the mission of here, but to see what God does. And there's such a beautiful thing about the church. Yes, y'all are different. I'm really different, okay? I get that. But when we embrace and lay aside our preferences and, and all that sort of stuff, and we say, I don't care. The mission matters most. It's a beautiful thing. When our unique personalities and our unique giftings are united together to see people reach for the gospel, it's powerful. And it's what God designed the church to be. And yes, you're going to have those bumpy times. And yes, you're going to be in small groups where maybe there's that person that's a bit different. Or maybe like behind closed doors, you're like, I don't really care for that person. Let's be honest, we're in church, right? There's people you don't care for. But you lay aside that preference because seeing lives transform of the gospel matters most. You quickly realize it's not about me and my preferences. And it's not about you. It's about seeing the gospel change lives. And so you, we unite, even with those people that maybe we don't have chemistry with, we don't like to connect with, we lay aside that preference because we know together we are stronger and we can reach more people for Christ. That's what Paul was trying to do in Rome, and that's what the Spirit of God is trying to do in this church. Like, what can God do in and through this church if we lay aside our preferences and lay aside everything else and saying the mission matters most? So I'm going to love the people maybe that I don't feel like loving because I know together we're stronger. Like, what might God do in and through this church, if we lay aside our preferences and say, God, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'll even do kids' ministry. I, maybe you're here tonight and you're like, I don't want to do kids' ministry. I like sitting in on the service. Well, you can do that. But maybe you're someone, you're like, I just don't feel like, I don't feel led to do that. Maybe you need to lay aside that preference and saying, you know what? The mission matters most, and I know if I serve in kids' ministry, there's an unchurched person or a lost person that's going to drop off their kids, their kids are going to get ministered to, and they're sitting in a service, and they're hearing the message of Jesus. So even though I don't like kids all that much, I'm going to go, and I'm going to be a blessing to the kids because I know they're getting ministered to, and their parent is sitting on that service, and they're becoming a Christian. And you lay aside your preferences. Why? Because what? The mission matters most. Is there anything more important than seeing the gospel change lives? There's not. It's worthy of our time. It's worthy of our talent. And it's worthy of our treasure. And there's people this week, and I so appreciate every single one of you that did. They gave up their time, talent, and treasure to get a space ready that we're moving to literally right after the service. 
So after the service is over, if you want to help us lug all this stuff, it's all got to go. And we'd love your help. But there's people this week that literally gave their blood, sweat, and tears. There's literally a guy that cut his finger this week. Okay? I won't tell you how it happened, but I heard a story. But why did you do that if you're sitting here in the congregation? Why did you give so much of your time and energy? What made you compelled to do that? And I bet you if I started chatting with you, you're like, I just want to see God use Coastal change more lives. And so it's worth it. Right? Because the mission matters most. And, and we serve a God that is both Savior and Lord. And that Lord, as you grow in your faith, you get mature, the Lord leads you to do stuff at times you don't feel like doing. And cause you to love people you don't feel like loving. But do you want to grow? Do you want to be on mission? You want God to use your life? There's stuff in us that's gotta we gotta get rid of. And sometimes the only way those things go is we get with people that kind of rubs us the wrong way, and the Lord can kind of get that stuff out of us. Church, I'm so excited for the next season God has for us. This is this is it. This is our last season here. We start a new journey here shortly. And there's more journeys to come. But I hope that whatever happens in whatever season we're in, that we never, ever, ever forget. And Lord, help us to not forget this. That the mission that God has for us, it matters most. Father, thank you for this journey. Thank you for this church. God, help us to follow your call in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.